The election is less than 100 days away and the major parties are already fighting for media oxygen. National says the government's mishandling of the border will cost New Zealanders jobs by damaging the economy and delaying the reopening of the country. The Auckland light rail project looks dead in the water with coalition partner New Zealand First refusing to back it before the election. Green Party co-leader and government minister James Shaw admits he's always disappointed in New Zealand first. The Labour Party's unveiled its full list of candidates for the election and it includes one of the key voices advising the government during the COVID-19 crisis. Act the party has announced David Seymour as its Whangarei candidate in the 2020 election. But it's not the David Seymour that you're thinking of. Confusing? We know it. A Whangarei businessman and namesake of the party's leader has joined the campaign as an advocate for the End of Life Choice Act. But what about those other parties, the ones that fly under the radar and the 5% threshold? I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, running for Parliament when you've got very little chance of actually getting in. Alex Bray is the author of The Bulletin, a daily newsletter from the spinoff.co.nz, and a keen observer of the smaller political lights. I think for this one, the best way of talking about them is, is parties outside of parliament. You know, there's always that value judgment of is it a major party, is it a minor party? Uh, but with this sort of thing, there is a huge difference in funding and resources available to parties inside of parliament and parties outside of parliament. So I think that's probably the best way of defining it. So just to be clear, for the purposes of this podcast, top is a minor party, act not a minor party. Even coming up with that definition, though, wasn't smooth sailing. Here is Ben Uffendell, the editor of satirical news website The Civilian and former leader of the now-defunct Civilian Party, which won 0.05% of the vote in the 2014 election. This year he's standing for Advance NZ. We'll hear about them later. But it's hard to tell if this is another long-running joke on his part. We almost need like one of those um, endangered species scales. Mm-hmm where you, you go from least endangered to sort of uh, on the verge of extinction. And, and I think it varies even amongst the parliamentary parties. I mean, to some extent, uh, Advanced New Zealand is a, is a parliamentary. But I do draw a distinction between what I'd call like minor parties and what I'd call micro parties. We can count about nine minor parties which will probably contest this year's election. The Aotearoa Legalised Cannabis Party, led by Jeff Lai, the pretty single issue... The clue is in the name. Cannabis users have weird orgies. They're hopeless addicts willing to pay any price for more dope. You don't believe these lies, but our laws are based on them. Aotearoa, legalised cannabis party. We've also got the Māori party. They say they advocate for the interests of our whānau, hapu and iwi in parliament and government and are led by John Tamihere and Debbie Ngarewa Packer. Back home now, the Māori party will campaign on a platform of substantial funding for Māori participation in all sectors from health to justice to construction. The new Conservatives, led by Leighton Baker, they believe in personal responsibility, limited government, free markets, individual liberty, traditional family values and a strong national identity. We've got a policy called Binding Citizens Initiated Referenda which allows the people of New Zealand to control the government in between elections. We think it's a great stopgap for democracy. Then there's the Opportunities Party, led by Jeff Simmons. They want to use technology and resources more efficiently to boost productivity and profit and they're big fans of the idea of a universal basic income. And in tonight's news, blah, blah, blah. Honestly, who f***ing cares? 
Right now, we've got an entire generation paying record rents who may never live in their own homes. We've also got Sustainable New Zealand, led by Vernon Tarver. They want to be practical environmentalists and are willing to work with either Labour or National. The political issue we're here to solve is that protecting our environment has been prone to hijack by a variety of groups as an effective vehicle for pushing their own particular agendas for fringe activism, more taxes or excessive government control. Sustainable New Zealand is focused first and foremost on achieving what's best for our environment. Then there's the Outdoors Party, led by Sue Gray and Alan Simmons. They say they want a way of life in New Zealand that protects and enhances the environment. The party originally sprung up really out of the concerns of the hunters and fishermen, of course. And it's now sort of morphed into something that's for everybody, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. We've got Vision NZ led by Hannah Tamaki. Still not entirely sure what they stand for, to be honest, but it involves government funding for Destiny Church's social programs, for Māori to be the masters of their own destiny, and for New Zealand to stop selling off land and water. Well, you know, the neat thing is, new is new. And mm. um, doing something for the first time mm. is exciting. Now, just imagine if Colonel Sanders gave up the first time he wanted funding for his recipe. We would not have tasted that succulent chicken. Then there's social credit, they were big in the 70s and 80s and actually commanded about 20% of the vote back in 1981. It's hard to describe their philosophy, they pretty much advocate modern monetary theory, the idea of using the Reserve Bank to print money and fund the country's employment and infrastructure. And finally there's Advance New Zealand, this is the prospective political party the former National MP Jamie Lee Ross set up which he describes as centrist and anti-corruption though it hasn't yet been registered. Phew. So how do you actually go about setting up a brand new political party in New Zealand? Well, back in 2014, Ben Uffendale did just that. I think it's really different for one person versus like actually having an organisation because for me, it was an enormous hope. It was a far bigger hope than I intended. I was just trying to make a joke about the fact that we could get to 500 financial members before Peter Dunn because... At that time, United Future had dipped below the 500 required financial members. It's a lot harder to get 500 financial members than it seems, um, even when you've got an enthusiastic base of support initially, which I did. So I got about 200 to 210 uh, very, very quickly. But after that, uh, it's a long, slow, very difficult slog. Um, One of the most difficult things is you have to be sure these people are all real. And when you receive so many applications for a joke party, a lot of them are jokes themselves. And people want to know if they can pay with Calendar Girls money. Um, And you have to turn those down. But, you know, you turn so many of these down that you end up well on the short side of 500. And I think I had to send an emergency package to, uh, like, emergency... Uh, ship overnight on the deadline to get my 500 to the Electoral Commission. Was it entirely a joke or halfway through did you sort of think, wow, like, this, not necessarily that you've actually had realistic ambitions of getting into Parliament, but did you take it seriously-ish? I would say I took it as seriously as the civilian itself and that I thought, obviously, I can make some points with this. And I did make some points with it. But I, I didn't take it seriously in the sense that I, I think... People, people were surprised when they saw how few votes I got, hmm. and I think people are uh, like view these parties as as larger than they are sometimes, 
And just because the fact of me having a political party, they perceived that uh, it would be easier to get votes than it was. So I could see very early on how completely hopeless it was. And some of that has to do with funding. Some of it has to do with the funding allocations. And I don't know if we're going to get into that. But it's almost impossible uh, if you're just a very small operation to get a message out. Yeah, it's seriously hard to get into Parliament. There are basically two routes. You either win an electorate seat, in which case you get that MP plus others, depending on how high your party vote was, or you win more than 5% of the vote. 5% might not sound like much, but it's well over 100,000 people. Here's Alex Bray. One of the really telling points is that under no MMP election has a party come from completely outside of Parliament, never having had MPs at all, uh, to cross the 5% threshold. The only way, really, that minor parties in Parliament have ever started up is from an MP defecting. And so even when you apply a lower threshold, I think the only difference it would have made to the electoral history of New Zealand is New Zealand First wouldn't have been bundled out in 2008. Uh, you know, even the Conservative Party in 2014, they still wouldn't have, they still wouldn't have made it in if the threshold was four percent. Minor parties face loads of issues here in New Zealand. Chief among them is funding to get their names out there. Unlike countries like the US, there is a limit to how much each party gets to spend on broadcast advertising. You can't just do a Michael Bloomberg and pump half a billion dollars into a media offensive. You can purchase as much billboard space and drop as many leaflets as you like, but TV and radio time is a totally different thing. There's a broadcasting allocation uh, that gets provided of public funding, uh, and it largely gets divvied up that it goes to Labour and National, basically. So out of the four-point-something million dollars, about 2.5 of that uh, went to the two major parties, and the rest of it gets divvied up on a sort of tiered scale, so parties get put into various categories. And I think, Ben, there was actually a story from 2014 about the broadcast allocation with the civilian party? Yes, uh, a number of. A number um, of. <laughs> <laughs> I earned the ire of the taxpayers' union, uh, and I believe I was supposedly criticised by the Prime Minister, but I watched that footage and he wasn't really that. He said what he had to say. John Key said it was unbelievable and a joke being played on the taxpayer. But Alex Bray reckoned that shone light on some deep-seated injustice in funding allocation. It, it seemed to raise quite an interesting issue for, for serious parties in that a large share of the money is effectively going to these major parties as a winner's bonus, in a way, because uh, they have the most ability to fundraise and the most ability to get their message out already, but recently a, a coalition of five minor parties got together and said, well, this is kind of absurd because we've got none of this access to platforms that these major parties have, and yet we've got a, a tiny fraction of the funding that they're getting. So, uh, I, I mean, I feel like it did sort of raise an interesting point that uh, the criticism was being made, well, you might say it wasn't criticism, but even if it was being made of the civilian party, uh, there would have been other minor parties hearing that and saying, well, actually, we have actually been hard done by here. Yeah, I think the point that I wanted to make at the time, too, was that if my money had been reallocated and I hadn't accepted it, it wasn't going back into the public purse to pay for health or education or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was going to get reallocated amongst the other parties. Mm -hmm. uh, it was going to get 
go mostly to Labour and National. I think it is a very real issue. I realised that when I went to buy ads, just like just how few ads I could buy and how short they had to be uh, in order for me to get even four or five on television with about $38,000. This election, give your vote to the party that will declare New Zealand's independence from Hamilton, build a single unaffordable home, and establish a space program to send a man to the moon. Not to explore it, just someone we don't like. The Civilian Party, upwards toward the future like a moth to a flame. It doesn't go a long way. I, it's almost pointless, to be honest. And I completely understand it. I mean, you get rewarded for how well you did at the last election, and it seems that it just upholds the status quo. And that's not to say we can give the same amount of money to Labour and National as we could to some of these, you know, no-hope parties, uh, like the Civilian Party, for example. But the way that it's allocated just feels very archaic. Why are these minor parties many of which don't have a snowball's chance in hell of actually making it into Parliament, standing for Parliament. Like, what is the function of a minor party? I think as time goes on, the answer is more and more a bit of delusion. I think early in the days of MMP, uh, I think there there was probably more some reasonable hope to sort of break new ground, but things have become so stagnant in terms of the established landscape. In fact, moving back toward the major two parties quite strongly. Uh, that I think it takes mostly a degree of delusion about your own ideas. But some of it, like the Aotearoa Legalised Cannabis Party, for example, um, they left their mark in some mm. in, in some way. Uh, Materia Ture, uh, Tim Shadbolt, uh, someone, someone else who came out of that party. Mm. Nandor Tantras. Nandor, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think, like, early on, they've definitely made an impact. And I think if you're a single-issue party, you do keep that front of mind. Like, I think 1080 is front of mind for a lot of voters just because that banned 1080 party sits on the on the ballot. Mm. Um, but a lot of it, you know, I see things like, um, you know, the Outdoors Party, uh, Future Party, uh, Internet Party. It takes a strange kind of person. And when you start a small party, as I did, you suddenly it's like moths to a lamp. You attract, just by the fact of having a party, a lot of these people didn't realise it was a joke, Mm. but just by the fact of having a a party that wasn't one of the major parties, you attract a lot of very strange people. Uh, And you meet a lot of very strange people and you put some of them on the list. I I do think there are people like Vernon Tava who genuinely want to create like a blue-green movement. But if you're really, really serious about politics and have real ambitions... um, these tiny little micro-parties don't seem the way to do it. Well, see, I I mean, I would slightly disagree with that in a way because uh, you look at uh, legalised cannabis and they have a referendum this year on on cannabis itself. Just over the weekend as well, there was an article on stuff about whether social credits economic theory had finally started to be implemented by organisations like the Reserve Bank and stuff like this. Has its time come? And in both of these cases, one of the most interesting things about it is that it's deeply, deeply unusual for the news media to focus on that party itself as any sort of catalyst for this happening. Uh, But at the same time, you know, you go back 25 years and legalised cannabis has been on the ballot of every single election and every single by-election uh, over that entire period. And I, I feel like that has got to matter uh, to voters at some level that time and again they're just seeing 
should we legalise cannabis on the ballot in front of them? And now finally there's a referendum coming up. The party itself has been almost entirely absent from the media discussion around it. It's largely fallen to NGO groups like the Drug Foundation on one side, Family First on the other side. Uh, but I would argue that you you have to say that over that period of time, legalised cannabis will have had some impact on the overall discourse around the issue that they're trying to get going. We start with some breaking news in German politics. The leader of the governing Christian Democratic Union, or the CDU, has said she's stepping down. Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, known as AKK, had been widely tipped to succeed Angela Merkel when the Chancellor retires from politics in about 18 months' time. Her decision to stand down follows a scandal over the involvement of the far-right alternative for Germany in a regional election. Is there such a thing as too much democracy? You know, too many niche views being represented, leading to some really weird coalitions and stalemates where sworn enemies hold the balance of power but they can't do it without each other i think that's very fair i've often argued for a complete removal of the threshold in fact but the the argument that i always get back to that is well what if there are nazis Mm -hmm. and the nazis hold the balance of power Uh, my answer to that is usually just we'd go to another election but it's a fair concern um and i do think there is such a thing as too much democracy why do I vote for my DHB? I don't know what I'm doing. I rank all the candidates, but I have absolutely no idea who any of these people are. Um, I rank them based on what they're wearing in some cases because I have nothing else to go on. Mm-hmm. Do we want to keep it to a slightly more um, safely qualified group of individuals and not have the balance of power swung between you know, three or four different parties that got 06 0.7, 0.8%? That's, that's probably fair. That does sound like a dystopia to me. I mean, I, I would argue in response to that, because I, I genuinely do believe that the threshold is anti-democratic, uh, but I, I I would argue that when it comes to a situation like that with coalition formation and, you know, what if literal Nazis hold the balance of power? Well, you know, the obvious solution there is a grand coalition between the two major parties of the centre. And I think a lot of the the sort of rhetoric that goes on around how, uh, you know, Labour and Nationalists sworn enemies of each other is kind of like, to use a pro wrestling term, it's kind of like kayfabe, you know, it's it's when you actually look at what they would do in government, there are differences, certainly, but the differences aren't as vast as the differences between one of our major parties of the centre-left and centre-right and, as you say, literal Nazis. So, uh, I mean, if there were all of these small parties in Parliament, maybe they had one MP, maybe they had two MPs, I think you would still end up with relatively centrist governments most of the time. You would just then have a lot of alternative views also being represented by by parties in Parliament. Is there any point to actually voting for a minor party in this year's election? Yes. Why? It, it's a good question, but I think, to, to if nothing else, if you give your vote to a party that gets 600 votes and gets no in in Parliament, gets no in there being even recognised, you've done one thing. You have added your voice to a constantly existing 
series of voices that want other options. And you can add up all the tiny little parties and all the parties that don't get into Parliament and say, well, those people still want other options. And in the fullness of time, that could make a difference. Hmm. What are your comments? Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree with that. I think we ditched first past the post for the very reason that it denied voters the opportunity to have a meaningful vote on who they wanted to see in Parliament. And and I would say that we should continue moving in the direction of allowing voters to have a more meaningful say in who they want in Parliament. But I would say absolutely, always, always vote your conscience. If there's a, a party that you actually, a fantastic example of it came from the Liberal Democrats in the UK where they used to run this election ad where John Cleese would say, one of every two people watching this now would vote for the Liberal Democrats if you thought we could win. I'll just say that again. Half of you prefer Lib Dem policies and would vote for us if you thought we could win. Now, do you see the problem because of course that means that if you did vote for us we would win right i mean not just do well but actually win and the point of that is is that so many people wrote them off before they even got a chance to get Mm. into the ballot box and so if if everyone is just writing off the party that they want to see in parliament because they don't see them winning i mean that that's a bit of a waste That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Alex Bray and Ben Uffendale. Ka kite anō.